Amen. What great worship. Thank you, Nicole and Sophie, for leading us. And thank all of you for joining in tonight. Revelation 21. Can you believe it? One more week in the book of Revelation. And then on September the 8th, we start a 50-week study in the book of Genesis. And I'm really excited about that. God wants to create stamina in us. You know, we live in a culture and in a world, even amongst Christians, where we have short attention spans, right? It's hard to stick with st stuff over the long haul, where God was leading me this coming year. We're going to be doing long studies, studies through Genesis and Exodus and, and uh, main parts of Isaiah and Joshua and all these big books. And God is saying, I want my people to hang in there through all this. And so I hope you'll join us in a couple weeks as we get started on the book of Genesis. In fact, it's sort of interesting that God led me to that because I wanted to begin, well, actually I want to begin with this. If you're a note taker, do not be discouraged. <laughs> this is going to be a tough one to keep notes on, okay? I'm just going to tell you that up front. So my suggestion to you is just take it in and then watch the podcast and then fill in the notes that you miss. Because there's going to be a lot that I'm going to be talking about tonight, all right? A lot that we're going to be talking about. But these next two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, is a fitting climax to the message of the Bible. A message that begins with the drama of redemption in Genesis chapter 1 through 3, and then concludes here in Revelation 21 and 22. In fact, I want to compare the beginning of Genesis for just a few moments with the end of Revelation. And this is part of why I said, don't even try to take notes on this, all right? Just take it in, okay? Listen to the contrast between the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, heaven and earth are created. In Revelation 21-1, the new heavens and earth are created. In Genesis 1-16, the sun is created. In Revelation 21-23, there is no need of sun. In Genesis 1-5, the night is established. In Revelation 22-5, there is no night in the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis 1.10, the seas are created. In Revelation 21.1, there is no more seas. In Genesis 3.14 through 17, the curse is announced. In Revelation 22.3, there is no more curse. In Genesis 3, verse 19, death enters history. In Revelation 21.4, death exits history. In Genesis 3.24, man is driven from paradise. In Revelation 22.14, paradise is restored to man. In Genesis 3.17, sorrow and pain begin. In Revelation 21.4, sorrow, tears, and pain end. In Genesis 3.1, the devil appears and in Revelation 20.10, the devil disappears. <laughs> so you can see 
What a contrast between the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible, and yes, it all ties together. Now, there are many ways I could have tackled Revelation 21, and by the way, we're going to go into the first five verses of Revelation 22 because they go with Revelation 21, not so much with 22. We're going to talk about the rest of Revelation 22 next week as we conclude looking at God's final invitations to us. But tonight, I wanted to uh, tackle this a little bit differently. And one of the unique things about this passage of Scripture is that in order to give us some understanding of what eternity will be like, as we just talked about, a lot of what God reveals to us is what won't be there. Okay? So let me repeat that. In order for us to understand a little bit about what eternity will be like, instead of just telling us what will be part of it and what will be there, there's a lot that God tells us won't be there anymore. All right? And just like last week, I have a feeling that some of you got sort of a new perspective on the millennial kingdom and what that will be like. I think after tonight's message, you'll probably get a little bit of a renewed perspective maybe or even a little bit of a different perspective on what eternity will be like as well. So I just want to go through here, and there are 12 of them. So you count them with me in case I miss one. So I'll have to go back and catch it. The first one we see is in Revelation 21.1, where he says, in eternity there will be no more sea. And the sea existed no more. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be water or bodies of water or rivers, as we're going to see tonight in Revelation 22. But no more seas, no more big expanses of ocean like we have here today. Obviously, we know that the majority of the world is actually covered by water and that oceans and seas make up a predominant part of the earth. In eternity, that will not be the case. It will primarily be land rather than water. Then look over in Revelation 21, 4. In eternity, there will be no more tears, for he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In eternity, there will be no more death, and death will not exist anymore. In eternity, there will be no more mourning or grieving, and he talks about that. No more crying. And finally, no more pain. All right? So that brings us up to six. But there's more. In Revelation 21, 6, there is no more thirst. For God says to the one who is thirsty, I will give water free of charge from the spring of the water of life. You see, even here on this side of glory, even as a Christian, I can have that discontentedness, that, that lack of fulfillment and satisfaction that will be all done away with in eternity. It will be perfect fulfillment, perfect satisfaction, and perfect contentment. No more thirst for anything but God, and God will definitely quench the thirst of his people like no other time in history. Verse 8, no more wickedness. The cowards, the unbelieving, detestable persons, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic spells, idol worshipers, all those who lie, they will have their place 
in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's the second death. And we know that the Bible says in verse 27 of Revelation 21 that only those whose names are written in the book of life will enjoy eternity as God prepared it. The rest will go into the lake of fire. Now, let me say this. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a selective list by God. And it is clear if you compare Scripture with Scripture that he's not saying that everybody that does these things is going to go to hell. He's talking about the unredeemed or the unrepentant because we all know that maybe some of us were involved in things like this, but now through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been saved and therefore our sins are covered and we will go into eternity with God and we will not suffer the second death. So there's a couple things implied here. First of all, this is not an exhaustive list of those who will appear at the lake of fire. It is a selective list. And second, it is clearly implied that these are those who never accepted Christ as their Savior. With me? All right, next, verse 22 of Revelation 21. No more temple. I saw no temple in the city because the Lord God, the all-powerful, and the Lamb are its temple. We'll come back to that later on in the message. No more closed gates, verse 25. The gates of heaven, if you will, the gates of the new Jerusalem, the gates of God's cities will always be open. Because it says in verse 25, its gates will never be closed during the day. Well, guess what? It's perpetual day because the next thing is there's no more night. There will be no night there. In fact, this is reemphasized over in chapter 22, verse 5. Night will be no more. All right? So I've got one left, I think. I think that's 11. No more C. No more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more thirst, no more wickedness, no more temple, no more closed gates, no more night. And then if you go over to chapter 22, verse 3, no more curse. And there will no longer be any curse. Twelve things that God reveals will not be part of eternity. And all I can say is, I'm so glad I'm not going to miss any of them. I'm not going to miss any of them. Especially the death and mourning and crying and pain and all of that. Not going to miss that at all. What a glorious future God has planned for us. So now let's go back to the beginning and let's now go through a little bit more of this passage since we sort of had two big chunks that we just sort of were choosing as we went along. The first thing I want us to see of what will eternity be like is we will enjoy a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1, I saw, and by the way, that word means behold. It is the climactic vision of the revelation of Jesus Christ that John the apostle is seeing. And he said, I now saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist. Now, remember something, too. God is not going to destroy the place where he now dwells and where all of our loved ones are who know the Lord. That's the dwelling place of God. There are different heavens, if you will. Uh, when the Bible also speaks of heaven, it speaks of the starry sky, if you will, the, the uh, you know, space 
and then the atmosphere and all of that. That is considered the heavens, and God will destroy that heaven and create a new heaven and also a new earth. So if you think you're getting rid of earth in eternity, nope, earth will always be a part of eternity. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? I'll come back to this, but it's one of the reasons why I don't buy into the fact that just because God created such a vast universe, there has to be life on other planets and other places, right? No, I think God makes it very clear in, in, in the Word, in books like Revelation and even in Genesis that we're going to look at beginning in a couple weeks, that there is something special about the earth. It is not like any other place that he created in the universe. It is a place of special attention, one that he's going to carry over, not just as part of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, but the earth is going to exist in its newness for all of eternity, okay? Now, I want to talk about the word new, because that applies to us even now. It speaks about that which is superior to anything that came before it. That's what the word new here means. In other words, the heaven and earth that God is going to make, that you and I are going to be a part of for all of eternity, along with heaven, along with the new Jerusalem, the capital city of, of glory and all of that, is that it's going to be superior in every way to what you and I know of right now. And part of that is because of the curse. But part of that is just because God is just going to take it up a notch, if you will, right? Superior. But think about that word even in our own context today as Christians. Therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, they are what? New creations. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new superior to what came before. See, God is even now creating something new in us and through us. For we are his workmanship, Paul said to the Ephesians, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And the work that God is doing in our lives is something superior to whatever came before. That's something that we should be encouraged about, you see. We are the workmanship of God, and he didn't stop creating things in the book of Genesis. As we see throughout the Bible, he's always been creating, and he always will be creating things. He is a creator God, and that's something for us to look forward to in eternity. Then verse 2. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. I love the words made ready. It speaks about God, think about this, making all the necessary preparations for this place, this superior place for us to dwell in as part of our eternal existence. And that God is the one making all the necessary preparation. He didn't leave that to the angels. He didn't ask us to be... No, he's the one making everything ready. And then that reminds us right about what Jesus said in John 14. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to what? Prepare a place for you. Jesus Christ himself is preparing each of us our own personal space, if you will, in the New Jerusalem. Our own heavenly apartment. And he's designing it with us in mind. It is going to be crafted based upon what he knows about us and who he knows us to be. And nobody knows us better than Jesus does. Nobody. So when you and I get up there, part of what's going to blow us away is when we walk into that prepared place that Jesus has prepared for just us, I, I think our jaws are going to drop and our minds are just going to be blown like, wow, this is even better than my little human mind could ever conceive. And I think there's going to be things in there and about our personal space that even we didn't realize was going to be special and touching and hitting us at just the right spot because we didn't even maybe know that about ourselves, but Jesus did. Now, Jesus is going to do that for each of us, but the Bible also says here in this capital city of glory called the New Jerusalem, where I believe our place is, that's sort of our landing spot, right? That doesn't mean we can't travel around God's new heavens and new earth. That doesn't even mean that we won't be coming back to earth at times and going from earth to the New Jerusalem and going from the New Jerusalem up here and over there. We've got all of eternity to explore the new heavens and the new earth. That's why when people say, what are we going to be doing for all of eternity? I'm like, man, at least for the first couple millions of years, I can tell you part of what we're going to be doing, right? It's just incredible, incredible. So we're going to be enjoying a new heaven and a new earth prepared personally for us by our God. But then notice the second aspect of what eternity will be like. We will live in intimate, personal communion with God. As close as you and I can be to God, that's what we'll experience in eternity. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, behold, pay attention, he's saying. That's what the word means. The residence or tabernacle of God is among human beings. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read something like that, I, I just, it, it's hard for me to understand how our perfect God wants to spend time with us. I, I just do. And I, I don't feel like I'm devaluing who we are. It's just, it's like, wow, God, you could have lived all of eternity without us, perfectly content, self-existent, and yet when you created us, you created us to live with you forever. And not just to, like, hang around on the outskirts of town. Like, you know, like, God's place is the nice place on the hill, right? And then he puts us out in the country somewhere, right? Like, way far away so that he doesn't have to deal with us. No, that's not God. God says, I'm going to settle. In fact, that's what the next words look. He will live. It literally means to settle in amongst them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with 
them. The words will be with them speak about an extreme closeness. God always wants to be close to his people. That's why I love being part of this church. Because I feel the closeness of God when I'm here on Wednesdays and Sundays and even every other day that I'm here. Even if I'm here by myself or with someone, I feel God here with us. And if we can sense that in these finite, frail, you know, bodies that one day we're going to have to lay aside because we still carry the old nature, what's it going to be like in heaven when we've got glorified bodies? And I mean, there's nothing separating us from God. We can get as close to God as we possibly can, and we're going to talk more about what that looks like a little bit later. So I want us to know that. My goodness, we're going to have intimate communion with God in eternity. I mean, hopefully our desire is always, God, I want to be closer to you. In eternity, that's, it's going to hit the mark right there, right? Third, what will eternity be like? As we talked already about in verse 4, we will no longer experience the horrible effects of sin. Oh, can you imagine what your glorified body is going to be like? I mean, you know, like I, I talked to some of you before, you know, you're like me, you're tired, you're, you know, we're never going to experience those things anymore. We're, it's just going to be incredible. And we're going to be able to do things in our glorified body. We only dream about, you know, things that superheroes on big screens do now that we're going to be able to do for real. It's not going to be CGI doing it. We're going to be able to do it because of the power of God. No more curse. What's it going to be like to have no more death? Never having to say goodbye to those that we're close to and that we love. Never having to be separated ever again. No more disease. No more pandemics. No more illness. Nothing to grieve about or mourn about. I mean, start to think about that, my friends. That's what eternity is going to be like. It's not just going to last for a few years. It's going to go on for billions and billions of years, and then it just is beginning. That's eternity with God. That's what you and I get to look forward to. That's why God says, set your affection on things above, not on earthly things. Don't get drugged down by the things of earth, by those temporal, physical, material things that aren't going to last. Set your affection and set your mind on the Lord and on what's to come. And then let that inspire you and I and motivate us then to make our mark on earth because we know we're only here for a short time and then we're going on to glory. We will rest in the sure promises of God. That's what eternity will be like. We will finally rest in the sure promises of God. Look at verse 5. And why can we rest? Because the one who's making these promises is the one and only seated on the throne. That's why. He's ruling. He's always been in control. But we will certainly see it and see him like we've never seen him before. He even says, look, I'm making all things new. Everything will be superior to what came before it. Then he said to me, write it down. And here's why I want you to write it down. 
because I want my people throughout history until I come or until they come to heaven and see me, I want them to know a couple things. I want them to know that these words that you're writing down, John, first of all, they're reliable. They're faithful. You can depend upon them. You can stake your life on them. You can rest all of your weight on them. God's word is sure, and it's true. It is the true reality. We live in a world where we talk a lot about reality things, but, but in reality, most people are living in a fantasy world. They're, they're living in a world uh, of make-believe. They're trying to create their own reality. And the ultimate reality and the only reality in this universe is God and what God has revealed. And God is saying, this might seem like pie in the sky by and by. This might seem too good to be true when you and I think about it, even as Christians, but it's not too good to be true. It's actually going to happen. You and I are actually going to be in this place one day with God, and it's going to be perfect, and it's going to be forever, and it's never going to get boring, and it's going to be the most fulfilling, satisfying, contented thing that you and I could ever be a part of, and it's going to be more glorious and more beautiful and, and, and more anything than you and I can even begin to imagine on this side of heaven. God says, verse 6, it's done. It's the same word that Jesus spoke from the cross. It is finished. And why can we be so sure of these words again? Not just because the one who said them is the one who's seated on the throne, but he is the I am. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who had the first word, and he's the one who's going to have the last word. And he's the one who has the word all the way in between. He is the great I am. We also will live as God's adopted children with no fear of the second death. Verse 7 and 8. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, my daughter, literally my adopted child. God told us when we accepted Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. He looks at us and treats us as his very own child. And we will experience God and all that God has for us throughout eternity. Now, for the rest of our time together tonight, these 10 minutes or so, from verse 9 of Revelation 21 all the way through chapter 22, verse 5, there's three main things that God sort of is painting a picture for us, again, about what eternity will be like. The first one I want to see us to see is this. Eternity, first of all, is going to revolve around a city. And that's important. In fact, we saw that in verse 2. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven. And beginning then in verse 9 of Revelation 21, we have a detailed description of this city. It is a city. He showed me, verse 10, the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And then he begins to describe the city. And this city is 
of indescribable beauty. I mean, even though you read this, you and I even have a hard time imagining how beautiful the city is that God is creating for us. The city possesses the glory of God. Its brilliance is like a precious jewel, verse 11, like a stone of crystal clear jasper. It has massive high walls with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, names of the 12 tribes. Verse 13, there are three gates on the east side, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel then goes, go and measure the city. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. It measures 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. He also measured, verse 17, its wall, 144 cubits according to human measurement. It's a big city. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but hang in there with me with the description. Verse 18, the city's walls are made of jasper, and the city is pure gold like transparent glass. The foundations of the city walls are decorated with every kind of precious stone, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, amethyst. And then I love this. And the 12 gates aren't made up of pearls. The 12 gates are a pearl. I'd like to see what oyster made that pearl. Those are huge pearls. The main street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. I mean, God loves beautiful things. And God wants to make beautiful things for us to be able to enjoy, just like he did in the first creation for all of eternity, to be able to enjoy and to behold. The sights and sounds of eternity are going to just be more than we can even imagine. But here's my main point. God is creating a city because it's what we can relate to. You and I understand living in cities. And what that also tells us about eternity is God wants us as his people there to live in community with each other there, just like he wants us to live in community with each other here. That's why he creates a city for us to dwell in. He wants us to be together with him and with each other. It is very, community is very important. It is of high value to God. That's why a city is part of the landscape in eternity. So remember that. There will always be earth, and there will always be cities for us to live in, dwell in, work in, all of that. Second, verse 22, temple. That's the second sort of key aspect. Yes, the Bible says no more physical building temple, no more sacred space for God's people to come and worship him in. Oh, but that doesn't mean there's no worship in heaven. It simply means that no building is necessary, that the Lord God and the Lamb are literally the temple. They themselves are the sacred space where God's people will come around them to worship. But worship will be part of our existence for, uh, throughout eternity. In fact, if you turn over 
to verse 3 of Revelation 22. Look at the very last phrase. His servants will do what? Worship him. Look at verse 9 at the end of Revelation 22. Worship God. And we'll talk more about that next week. But worship is part of it. Temple. We won't stop worshiping. It's just there don't, doesn't need to be a church building. There doesn't need to be a physical structure. God himself will be the temple. But there will be a temple. There will be worship. And this also reminds me of something that you and I need to be mindful of even today with our buildings. And please hear my heart. I thank God every day for what he's given us here at the Oasis, for the ground that he gave us, for this wonderful and beautiful facility that he gave us, for hopefully the facility that he's going to make happen someday and all of that. I, I appreciate what God has done. But even today, we have to make sure that we don't make our worship about the physical structure. It's never about the building. That's just the functional place where we can come and gather. Worship, just like it will be in eternity, is always about the person of God. That's why in eternity, there's no temple, because it's just us and God. He's the center of the sacred space where we will worship, you see. So many times today, buildings and facilities and whatever take on almost a quality that there's something special about the building. No, not unless God's there. Then if God's there, if God's presence is there, then there's something special. It's God's presence that makes the place special. Not all the ornate things and not all the, you know, artwork and all the decorations and all of that that we can get caught up in, that doesn't make a place special. It might be physically beautiful. It might be something to ad admire from an aesthetic, artistic standpoint. But if God's presence isn't there, that, that's not really a place of worship. It might be called a place of worship. But if God's not there, that's not worship. God's got to be there. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. So city and temple, we, we can understand those. And then chapter 22, eternity will also be like a garden, which again takes us all the way back to the beginning where God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And God always has this picture of the garden, if you will, being restored. Listen, the angel showed me Chapter 22, verse 1, the river of the water of life. Water is clear as crystal, pouring out. I love that. When God does something, he doesn't just trickle it. It is pouring out, even in eternity, from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It reminds us that God will forever be our source, even in eternity. It's not like when we die and go to heaven or we one day get to eternity, like we don't need to rely and depend on God. No, we always will need to depend on God, even in our glorified state. We always look to God for our source and for all that we need. And so it says, flowing down the middle of the city's main street, on each side of the river is the tree of life producing 12 kinds of fruit, 
I can't wait to taste that fruit. That fruit's going to be superior to anything that came before it, right? Yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves also are for the healing of the nations. We are perfectly cared for and nourished throughout eternity by God. Why the word nations? Because it speaks about, again, the diversity of people that will inhabit eternity with God. People from every nation, every tribe, every language group, every culture on earth will be part of eternity if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you see. And so there's this beautiful picture of like this garden setting there, trees and and water and all this, sort of like, sorry to say it, oasis, right? So city, temple, garden. Why garden? Well, God, part of our eternal existence is going to be enjoying a garden landscape, eating from it, relaxing in it, resting in it, listening to the water rush by, taking time to do things maybe in eternity that we didn't take time to do here. See, even in eternity, God has that part planned as well, a place where we can go and maybe sit for a while and just enjoy the beauty of the garden. But again, notice there's other aspects here. Also part of this, the end of verse 3, will be worship. His servants will worship him. And that speaks about perpetual, continual. We never will stop worshiping the Lord. And we're going to talk more about that next week in our final message. And then don't miss this. And they, verse 4, will see his That's the highlight. What makes heaven heaven? God. God's presence. God's person. And being able to see him face to face. Something that no human being has ever been able to do. Even those who saw him in the Old Testament, like Moses, never saw him in his undiminished glory. God says, I'll show you my backside, but you couldn't see me and live. You'd be vaporized if I showed you. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus transfigured himself before those three, it was just like a quick glimpse. It was just sort of pulling back the curtain just a little bit, just to give them a glimpse of what it was like. Here, no. Here, you and I, are going to be able and be permitted and enabled by God to be able to see the face of God in all of his glory. Job said, even though I know my body will be destroyed, yet Job even said, yet in my flesh I know I will see God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. John said, Beloved, we are now the children of God, and all that we will be has not yet been revealed to us. But we know this, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Seeing God face to face. I don't know about you, 
but that's the one thing above everything else about eternity that I can't wait for. I mean, a little intimidating, yeah, a little humbling, yeah, I mean, all kinds of emotions, but my goodness, to be able to look into the face of our Jesus and see those eyes that have always loved us and gave himself for us, I think that will be a moment that that's just going to make eternity. And then one final thing, verse 5. Night will be no more. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them. God will give us all the light we will ever need. And what a great way to end our study tonight. And they, you and I, will reign forever and ever. Going back to last week, it literally means you and I will be kings and queens of God forever and ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for giving us a glimpse, Lord, of what eternity will be like. Lord, maybe some questions were answered tonight, but Lord, I'm sure even more probably came to mind. Because Lord, you don't tell us everything. You tell us the things that you know we need to know, but not everything we want to know at this point. Now we see indirectly, but then, Paul said, we will see you face to face. God, I pray tonight has been an encouragement as we do see a few of the aspects of eternity. Lord, it's more than our human minds can take in at one time. But Lord, more than anything else, I think what hits me most is how close, Lord, you want to be to us throughout eternity. And Lord, the, the care that you give to each one of us, making our own personal space, and then creating a city where we all can congregate in and and, and live in and, and visit and be a part of living in community. And you're going to make this place incomprehensibly beautiful. Like all of eternity. This new heaven and this new earth that you're going to make, make is just going to blow our minds. And so, God, we have so much to look forward to as your people. We're going to reign with you forever and ever over this new heaven and new earth. So, Lord, I pray tonight that we not only would be encouraged, but we would be excited, that we would realize, Lord, our lives count for something so much on this earth, that, Lord, you have left us here to make a mark on this earth before you take us to glory. And, Lord, may we make a deep and penetrating mark on this earth May we leave a good impression behind. May we leave a spiritual legacy behind for others to find you and to follow you, God. Because, Lord, when we see you that day, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Thank you, God, for encouraging us tonight so much through our worship time and through our time together in your word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.